0: I want to talk to you about three lies and the truth. It can be hard in our world to tell what is a lie and what is the truth. There are whole news organizations that are built upon telling a lie. Now, you think I'm going to say something about CNN or Fox News or something, I'm, I'm talking about the onion you've ever seen that, maybe your parents read it. It gives fake news, satire, funny stories. My brother sent me one this morning, sent it to me and to my parents, a text. This story said, Connecticut family finds that trip to Mount Rushmore only slightly more exciting than looking at a picture of Mount Rushmore. How many of you have ever been to Mount Rushmore? You can tell me afterward if you think that's true, but we did and it is true. Many of you will watch the Super Bowl this weekend, and most people root against the Patriots. I won't ask if you are or not. OK, a lot of applause for that. People don't like the Patriots, OK? For a lot of reason, they, they win all the time. You know, Tom, Tom Brady is just, he's so good looking, you know, and they're cheaters. That's, that's, that's what people think. Remember Deflategate? The footballs were deflated and Tom Brady did it or didn't do it. Who who knows? He was suspended for it. They insist they did nothing. What's the truth? We don't know. There was a State of the Union address earlier in the week. President Trump giving his first State of the Union address. You may not be tuned into those things, but lots of people watch it, and it's on all the networks and all the cable shows. And when he speaks, everyone listens, and there's always one set of people no matter who the president is, they're fact-checking everything he says, and they say, well, that's one Pinocchio, that's two Pinocchios. And then there's now people that fact-check the fact-checkers because you can't believe them. And I'm sure there are people who are fact-checking the fact-checkers. No, no, nobody knows what, what, what can we really believe anymore. Not only in politics or sports, it's even true, sadly, in the world of Christianity. I don't know if you remember this from a couple of years ago. There was a, a best-selling book the boy who came back from heaven made millions and millions of dollars. So millions of copies and later the boy, Alex Malarkey, sort of an unfortunate last name. <laughs> but he admitted that he did not in fact die. He did not in fact go to heaven and he did not in fact meet Jesus there but he had been pressured maybe by some combination of a publisher or his father, and anyways, I don't know what they did with all the money that they made on the backs of a little boy not telling the truth about whether he died or went to heaven. We all can fall for lies, but there are no lies more deadly and more dangerous than lies about the gospel. The devil is the father of lies, that's what he does. He deceives, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. He does not want you to know the truth. Because like Jesus said, by knowing the truth, the truth will set you free. So the devil does not want you to know the truth, the truth about yourself, the truth about the world, the truth about God, the truth about the gospel. There are three lies which threaten the very heart of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And you need to understand the truth on the other side of these lies if you are to understand what it means to be a Christian and if you understand what it means to follow Christ. Three lies. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter one. This is at the back of your Bible if you have a Bible. Be good to turn it on or to open it up. This is at the very back. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Jude, and Revelation, and then you get to the maps. So 1st John, you follow along as I read chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, because, of course, any time you listen to someone teaching the Bible, you want to think for yourself, does this square with what I'm seeing in Scripture? There's no authority that I have as a man or as a pastor, except that it's the authority that's based on God's word. So follow along as I read 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. We read, this is God's holy word. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want to show you three lies which threaten the very heart of the gospel. Here's the first. I call it the lie of perfectionism. The lie of perfectionism, that lie that says you can be perfect in this world. The lie of perfectionism says I am not culpable or I am not responsible for my sins, for my behavior. I can be perfect. Now, if you look at your your Bible... You notice in verse five, it says, we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness of all. And then it uses the word we again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, verse 10, if we say. So you see there in verse six, verse eight and verse 10. Three times it says, if we say, now what is he doing here? John is referring to the message that some of the false teachers were giving here to the Christian community. He's responding to some of the lies that they were giving. And so there were people going around, there were teachers, they were worming their way into churches, and they were saying things like verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 10. And so some of them were saying something like, we, we don't have sin, verse 8. Or verse 10, we have not sinned. Now, we don't know exactly what these false teachers were like, but... We know something about the history of the time and can imagine that some of them were probably saying, if you just learn enough, if you just have enough knowledge, then you can remove that sin from your life. Or perhaps if you just do enough rituals, maybe you light a candle, maybe you, you go to religious services enough, and then you won't have any sin. Or there were people, this was very common in the ancient world, because people people didn't think about the body, the way that we do. We think about the body as is, is very good, and lots of people say you should be able to do whatever you want with your body. Well, a lot of people back in the ancient world, they thought that the body was dirty, the body was bad, that you had a spirit or a soul in your body, and that was good. But your body, this, this, this flesh, this hair, this bones, this, this earthly stuff, was bad. And if you could just sort of separate yourself from your body and just sort of focus on spiritual, and not have that, then you wouldn't have this sin problem to worry about. Now, these may seem strange. This may seem like, well, this is a long time ago. These are strange ancient philosophies. But when you think of it, it's not all that different than some of the lies that we can believe. There are many people, maybe some of your, your classmates, friends, Teachers, people you know, things you see on TV. Te- they give you the message if you, just, if you just have enough education, if you're just enlightened, if you just, if you just study, if you just listen to the experts. You don't, you don't have to worry about sin. Who talks about sin anymore? Or people say, look, if you're just spiritual, whatever we mean by spiritual... Maybe you go on a pilgrimage. Maybe you have a prayer wheel. Maybe you just are one with nature. Maybe you go for long walks in the woods. That's what we, don't focus on sin. Sin, that has a lot of baggage, that word. Let's just be spiritual. That's enough. Or this is very common. When when, when people sin, that is when they miss the mark, when 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 they break God's law, we think to ourselves, well, that's not the real me. You know how many Disney movies basically have as their message, go find the real you. Go find your true self. When I was preparing to be a pastor, I had to work for a time at, at an addiction center. And so most of these people were, were addicted to, to heroin. And uh it was completely out of my element to know what in the world I was doing trying to help them, but there I was. And so many of them, when, when you ask them about what they had done, would say something like this, you know, that, deep down I'm really a good person. And, and when I did those things, and when I, when I took those drugs or when I, I, I stole from my family, when I hurt those people, that wasn't me, that, th- th- that, bad, that was something else. I need to get in touch now with my real self because deep down my real self is good. That's a very very American way of thinking of things. And many of us, even if we've grown up in the church, we've maybe sort of uh, drunken that in to think that, well, just deep down. You know, if you ever go to a funeral, it doesn't matter how much of a rascal the person was, they find something nice to say about him. You know, George, deep down, he was really a great guy. You had to go really deep, (laughs) really, really deep. But when you got there... (laughs) It was a good man. We think that. We think. Now, now, when you talk to someone, if you were to ask them, because you may be thinking to me right now, okay, pastor, I, I don't really buy this perfectionism. Nobody I know would claim to be perfect. And you're right. Most people you talk to, if you say, hey, are, are you perfect? They're going to say, well, okay, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But if you press a little harder, you're going to find they don't have much of an idea of sin. What they think of is, okay, I, 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 I don't murder people, check. <laughs> um, I'm not, maybe, maybe if they're like a Christian person, they'll say, well, I'm not sleeping around, check, or I don't say bad words, check. People feel like, as long as I, I, I keep off the list a few of the main things, then I'm Okay. And we think we don't have a sin nature. Look at verse eight again. If we say we have no sin, we think sin is someone else's problem. We deceive ourselves, we ignore it. Or, or, or we just give it labels or we just say it's you know I'm the way I am because it's my parents fault. It's my school's fault. It's my upbringing fault. It's it's the just the way that I've been wired. It's not it's in my genes. We're always doing these things that sort of separate us from our behaviors. If you get an A on a test that's you if you fail that's 15 other reasons. They didn't get enough sleep and you weren't feeling well that day and the teacher didn't, didn't do a good enough job explaining and your parents never gave you a puppy and your cat ran away and all sorts of things. How can you blame me? Or we relativize it. We're constantly comparing. In just the moment that maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting us of some sin, the thought comes to our mind, well, what about her? <laughs> what about him? I know what he's like. There's always somebody worse we relativize it away. And so we think that the truth about us is really pretty pleasant. We think we maybe don't have a sin nature. Maybe the bad things we do are just the result of bad circumstances pressing on us. You know, we use the the phrase, well, he, he just really pushes my buttons. Okay, that's true. Maybe he does. Maybe she does. Maybe you have a friend. Maybe you have a a teacher pushes your buttons. Okay, where'd you get the button? It's your button. You know, I I heard one teacher one time give an analogy. He gave everyone a glass of water, filled filled up the water to the top and um, started jumping around, pushing them, prodding them. Water was spilling all over the place. They said, now... Why, why is the floor? Why did water come out of this cup? Why, why, why is there water on the ground? And you say, well, because he pushed me. Okay, no, that did happen. Why is there water on the ground? Because there was water in your cup. So that's sin. We tend to think, well, my sin came out. It spilled on the ground because this person pushed me or someone was jumping around or someone was in my way. Not because, well, I actually had this in me to begin with. If you don't think I know what I'm talking about, all I got to tell you is I have seven kids. I've seen it. I have seven kids and none of them have ever made a mistake. It's amazing. It's always their sibling's fault. Always. We think that sometimes. And then you see, not only do we believe the lie, we don't have a sin nature. Look at verse 10. Some of us think, well, we don't actually sin. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Now, maybe there are some people who don't have any background in the church, any background in Christianity, and people will say, well, I'm not perfect, or we all make mistakes, or I have regrets, or I'd like to improve in some areas, but, but we shy away. We don't want to use the word sin. Sin feels, Ugh. you know why? Because sin has a vertical dimension. Sin has relationship to God. If you say, I make mistakes, nobody's offended. If you say, I could be better, none doesn't matter. If you say, well, I have growth areas, you know, they're finding with, with younger generations that when they go to work and they get a job, that employers can't really confront them. They can't really tell them you know, that they're doing something wrong because That feels too bad, so they have to say, well, you have to to give them four things they're absolutely amazing about, and give them one little, and you can't say it's a mistake. You have to say, you have what I like to call a learning curve. You have a growth edge in your life. It's called stop stealing, okay? Just a little growth edge. I'm just working on it, just I don't mean to be hard. You're really good. When you do steal, you use it really well. I'm just saying that it's just a little growth edge. So we find ways to to minimize what we do, but it's what we do as Christians as well. We deny it in practice, even if we don't deny it in profession. When's the last time that you or I have gone to someone and we said these very simple, painful words, I'm sorry, or it is my fault. I actually you know am too hard on my kids sometimes my my oldest the other day was I won't tell you what he was doing but he was doing stuff that teenage boys do to be you know make their younger siblings upset I just said come on boy stop doing that you know something a very godly conversation with him what are you doing he came downstairs I don't know where he got this this was like Holy Spirit possession or something. I've never heard these words come out of his mouth. He came up to his younger brother and he said, I'm sorry for acting immature. <laughs> I want to uh, frame that. Just can you say that again? I'm going to record it to play it back to you every year on your birthday. You know, when, when I was some of your, your age, I know we have people here all sorts of ages, but I'm thinking when I was in when high school somewhere, Actually, I remember very distinct, I was going to a Friday night kind of youth thing, not too unlike what you were doing, and I heard a speaker come and probably sounded like I sound and he was telling me about all the things you got to stop doing and you got to get your act together. And, and I remember thinking, he's telling me not to listen to rock and roll music. It's fine. I listened to my parents oldies station, you know, you know, evil music from another generation or something told me not to do drugs. I had no idea where to get drugs. I could I could barely swallow Tylenol. I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> it's true. I, I wrapped it in Saran wrap one time and swallowed it. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> Surprise I lived. And don't have don't have sex. I thought, hmm, well, I haven't had many opportunities there. So that's, uh, <laughs> seemed to be batting a thousand here. And it wasn't his fault, probably, but I somehow, growing up in the church, I, I kind of went through, I felt like I was, I was there. I was a good kid. I read my Bible. I went to church. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group. I went to things like that. And I thought, I'm not doing rock and roll music. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not doing partying. I'm there. Yes, I, can't, I need Jesus died on the cross for my sins, John 3, 16. What, yes, but really, look at me. <laughs> we find all sorts of subtle ways to say the same lie and believe the same lies that they were believing here, that we think we don't really sin. And if you and I think that, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says, verse 10, his word is not in us. Verse six, if we say that, we lie and do not practice the truth. We make God to be a liar, verse 10. So this is not a small thing. If you think somewhere deep down, I don't really have a problem with sin. It's my brother's problem, it's my parents' problem, it's not really my problem, I'm not perfect, but I don't really have a problem with sin. The Bible says, not only are you lying, you're making God a liar. First Kings eight forty six. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Psalm fourteen three. They have all turned aside; together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Ecclesiastes seven twenty. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Isaiah fifty three six. All we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned every one to his own way. Let me tell you something that will be hard for some of you to accept. Your biggest problem in life. You ready? Your biggest problem in life is you. My biggest problem is also you. No, no, no. It's me. It's me. <laughs> My biggest problem is me. Your biggest problem. Is... Now, it's not to say that you don't have other problems you got people don't like you you got hard family situations you got you got people picking on you. you got things that you know illnesses injustice it's not to discount any of that it is to say the biggest problem we face throughout life is our own tendency to forget god to run from god to disobey god to offend god and you know we may not be able to see what everyone else sees. You ever you ever been you know eating with a friend and you're eating a salad and you know she gets just a huge glob of Caesar dressing on her face and you just kind of wonder should I say something and you start doing one of these like mm, 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 you know and you don't want to say hey you, you, your face is a mess. <laughs> And she walks around or she sits there and she's having a conversation. All you can think about is staring at her face. <laughs> you, have, you have been swimming in Caesar dressing. <laughs> but she doesn't see it. And it's like that with our sin. We're often the last one to know. Other people see it. Other people know it. Maybe they've been trying to tell us. And we're just going around having our conversation with a huge <laughs> of dressing on our face. If you say you have no sin... The truth is not in you or me. It's the lie of perfectionism. Let me give you the second lie. It's the lie of legalism. If perfectionism says, I'm not responsible, that is, I I, I don't have any big faults, the lie of legalism says, well, I am not forgivable. At least, I'm not forgivable unless I earn it. See, the legalist often starts by acknowledging the truth about sin. He sees that God is holy. He knows there is a standard. He doesn't deny sin in himself or in anyone else. His mistake, and maybe yours, is in thinking that you can make up for your sin. And if you think that, it is a foolish dream, and it is a failed dream. You can never be good enough. You see there, verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us. We need cleansing. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. forgiven forgiveness means the canceling of a debt. You are debtors to God. You owe him more than you can ever pay. And and I love this image that an old preacher said, you can sooner climb to the moon on a rope of sand than you can earn your forgiveness with God. A rope of sand, you're not going to get very far, all the way up to the moon. And so with our works, it says here, you must be cleansed, you must be forgiven. But you must then admit it. This, this is the hard part. You know how hard it is to say, I'm sorry? You know how hard it is to really repent? Not regret. Regret's pretty easy. You know, you, you, you have a, a crazy fun weekend. You do whatever you want. You get to school on Monday. You haven't done anything to prepare for the test. You bomb it. You have Regret. You're talking with some of your friends. You start talking about the other girl, uh, making fun of her, what she looks like, what her hair turns out. She's right behind you. She hears everything you says. You say, says, I went to schools. Uh, It's regret. It's easy to have regret. I think I wish I wouldn't have done that. Uh, In fact, the Bible has a category, 2 Corinthians 7. It says there's worldly regret. Just sort of, I I was caught. I, I messed up. I've ruined my chances that doesn't lead to anything. Then there's godly grief. That's repentance. That's that's just that's saying more than, man, I messed this up and now my life is worse because of it. Real repentance says I sinned against a holy God and I'm sorry. No matter how many people you hurt with sin, there is no one more offended than God. Some of you know the story of David with Bathsheba. Remember David, he's king, he has everything. He looks out one day, he sees across the way on the roof a a, a beautiful woman bathing Bathsheba. He desires her, he sends some men because he's the king, gets her and they come, he sleeps with her. Some of you know the rest of the story. She's pregnant, he's got to do something to, to try to cover up his tracks and so he brings in Her husband, Uriah, the Hittite, who's fighting David's battles, brings him in from the field so that those two will get together so that when she has the baby, everyone will think it was her husband's. Well, he won't do it. So now David's got an even bigger problem. What do I do with this husband? So he says to one of his commanding officers, when you go out to the battle and Uriah is there, I want you to put him where the fighting is fiercest. And when everyone is fighting, I want our men to step back so that he gets killed. And he does. He does. David lies to his people. He lies to himself. He murders a man in cold blood. He commits adultery with this woman. He sins against the woman, against her husband, against his army, against the people of Israel. There's hardly anyone he doesn't sin against. But do you know what David says in Psalm 51? Against you only, God, have I sinned. That's not to discount all the effects of sin. It is to say that ultimately when we sin, it is sinning against this holy God. You may be able to make up for your mistakes with a teacher, a parent, a friend. They say, okay, you've, you've been grounded for a week. You're good to go, but not with God. There is no sort of, God, would you just, would you just ground me for a month and I'll be fine? take away the car keys. Um, I won't use the iPad. Some of us try to do this to ourselves. You ever do that? You feel guilty for sin. And you think, okay, God, I, I, don't, I can't really show my face to you, but maybe if I make myself miserable enough, maybe if I put myself down enough, maybe if I just, I really, I can inflict enough punishment on myself that then I can show my face to you. And you may feel like, well, that's being really holy, really humble, but it's not. It's just another form of legalism. It's another form of thinking. I have it within my own power to atone for my sins. We must reject the first lie that says, well, I can be perfect or perfect enough. And then we must reject this second lie that says, well, if you aren't perfect, you can make up for it and do enough good things to atone for your imperfections. No, what we read here in 1 John is we must confess our sins. We must be washed. We must, must be forgiven. What good news. But it's only good news if we first will believe and accept the bad news about us. Do not believe the lie that law-keeping is the way to get over your sin problem. Now, some of you are saying, I've heard this since <laughs> I can remember anything. I've heard, you can't earn your favor with God, and Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. You grew up in a church that's like, you know, your first words, mommy, daddy, Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. But, but, But what happens somewhere between that and the vast majority of people in this country, even church going people, you put a microphone to a 25 year old on the street, and you say, "Why should you go to heaven?" What are they going to say? I'm a pretty good person. I I, I do the best I can, and yet yeah, God's grace sort of fills in the gaps. This this is hardwired into us. Do not believe the lie. Don't grow up thinking nobody ever told me. Look. <laughs> You're hearing it now loud and clear. You and I cannot get over our sin problem by ourselves. There is no amount of obedience that just sort of weighs the scale, that God is just one day going to say, you know what? You finally got your 500th obedience point. woo hoo Good. Now, just the rest of your life, just try to keep it even, and you're good to go. That is the lie of legalism Listen to what one theologian says. It is of great importance to be fully persuaded that when we have sin, there is a reconciliation with God ready and prepared for us. We shall otherwise carry always a hell within us. I just wonder if in a room with this many people, there's some of you already as teenagers, you feel like you're carrying a hell within you. Because you you do feel bad for what you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, what you've clicked on. And, and, you, and you're trying to just put a smiley face on it, you're trying to dress it up on Sunday, you're trying to do whatever you can to just that's not real, that's not real. It's not gonna work. You're not perfect, and you're not gonna make it so. So there's two lies. The lie of perfectionism, the lie of legalism. Let me give you a, a final one. And I, I want to introduce a new word that many of you may not have heard of. Uh, many of you will know that the fifth book of the Bible is Deuteronomy. You know that word, Deuteronomy. Now break apart that word. Deutero is a word meaning second. And then you have the word nomos. Nomos means law. Law. So Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, is the second giving of the law because Moses gets the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus, and then in Deuteronomy, he is giving the law again right before they go into the promised land. So that's why it's called Deuteronomy. So take that word, nomos, law, and let me give you a word. The word is antinomian, so nomos, law, anti, against, so this, this third lie is the lie of antinomianism. What, what does that mean? It means it's the lie that we believe that says, okay, because I'm not perfect and because I can't earn it, therefore it doesn't really matter what I do with my life. Antinomos, anti-law. So if the first lie says I'm not culpable or responsible. The second lie says, well, I'm not forgivable unless I earn it. The third lie says, I'm not really accountable. The lie is that we can have fellowship with God while still walking, living, dwelling habitually in darkness. Look at this again, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, that's the positive. Go up to verse six. Here's the negative. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. See, these three lies go together. And it's not enough to say, well, I'm, I'm squared away on two of the lies because then the, the other one's going to get you because some of you are saying, yeah, that's right. Can't be perfect. Got it? Yep. Not a legalist. I've heard that before. It's all about grace. I need God's grace. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's wonderful. So it doesn't really matter what I'm doing. I'm good to go. I just have to, at the end of the day, say more sin, God. So sorry. Forgives me. Pooh. We're good. This lie says, look, if you say you have fellowship with Christ, who, who's, who is the light, walks in the light, and you walk in darkness, you're not telling the truth. That's what it says. Think about it. If you're walking with Christ and your life is marked, now listen carefully to these words. I'm not saying if you ever sin, because we all sin. We've already seen that. No one is without sin. If your life is marked by habitual, meaning it's all the time unrepentant, you never, really, you never really come before God to confess it, to say, I'm truly sorry, would you help me? And you're, you're, you're diving into it. You're just on a trajectory. You, you, there's nothing that grieves you about your sin. If, if you're walking in that darkness, it doesn't matter how many times you've raised your hand, prayed a prayer, came forward, gone to church said, Jesus is my Savior, I'm a Christian. If you walk in darkness as, as a rule, that's your life, darkness, you're not walking with Christ. How could you be walking with Christ? Christ is in the light. If you're walking with him, you're in the light. You can't, you can't be walking in darkness and saying, look at me, I'm a Christian, I'm walking with Christ. No, because Christ doesn't walk here. Christ doesn't, doesn't live like this. And I put this as the last lie because it can easily be mistaken after the first two lies. Sometimes we, we, we swing the pendulum in the other direction and we say, Oh, you know, I, I just, I do, I do sin. You're right, but I just fail all the time. And I'm just, you know, I just, am, God is so happy when, when I admit my weakness. You know, it's a great arrangement. I love to sin. God loves to forgive. It's perfect. It says very clearly in this passage If you are indifferent to your sin, if you boast in your sin, you are not walking with Christ. If we say we have fellowship with God while walking in darkness, we are not practicing the truth. Why? Because it means we do not know the truth about God. Look at verse 6. He is light. Rather, verse 5. God is light. And then in verse seven, he is in the light. So if that's what, who God is, God is light, he is in the light. How can we walk in unchecked ungodliness, have fellowship with the one who is in the light? What fellowship can light have with darkness? John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, this contrast between light and darkness, truth and error versus impurity, evil. To draw near to the heavenly world of light, we must walk with the one who is in the light. Let me put this in a striking way, and just listen so you don't misunderstand it, but I came across this several years ago in an old book, and it has really stuck with me. Listen, everyone wants to go to heaven. What is heaven? Heaven's a holy place, right? Who's there? A holy God. Holy people doing holy things. Their conversation is holy. Their sight is holy. Their relationships are holy. Their worship is holy. Everything is to gather around the, the holy one who sits on the throne. So I was reading this old book. It said, what would you who care nothing for holiness Do in heaven, even if you got there. Well, of course, I want to go to heaven. Why? If you're not interested in holiness now, why why would you be interested in holiness then? If their joys are not your, your joys, if their delight is not our delight, if the things of heaven do not captivate us here on earth, why would we think we're on our way? If all we love is darkness, all we enjoy is darkness, all that gets us up in the morning is darkness, all that, you know, strokes our ego and enrages our fantasy is darkness, why would we want to go where there is nothing but purity and light and holiness forever and ever? What fellowship can light have with darkness? Darkness. Sometimes people believe the lie. They can, have, they can have Christ as their Savior without having them as their Lord. You know, he's my Savior, forgives my sin. I'm still, I'm still kind of growing. You know, I may not really have him as my Lord yet. No, you, you only have him as Savior if you have him as Lord. If you have him as Lord, is because he is also your Savior. You can't just say, I'm taking the Jesus that forgives me. I, I, I'm not going to follow him. <laughs> but thanks, you know, for the get out of jail free card. I appreciate that. I'll go to church if I have to so I can go to heaven. I got you as Savior. I don't have you as Lord. We must walk in the light as he is in the light, which means we must be open and honest about our remaining darkness. Listen to John 3, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. One author said, see if I can quote this, any profession of faith that means nothing to you in your life means nothing to God either. Why should we think that grace has flown in us if we have no grace flowing out of us? Walk in the light as he is in the light. So what do you do? Just Here's where we close. Look at verse 9. Okay, so some of you are saying, I, I get that. And I do have darkness, and I see it. And now, now what do I do? Are you just saying, I, I just that sounds like i'm i'm back to the legalism i just got to do better but then when i say i'm not a legalist it sounds like it doesn't really matter what i'm doing no you are right with god through faith alone but that faith which makes you right with god is never alone it's it's the difference between root and fruit the root the root that goes down that makes you a tree that's faith and if you have a root in good soil, you really believe that root will, will, will spring up and will bear good fruit. And you will walk in the light as he is in the light. And you will come before God and confess your sins. You see verse 9? And if you confess your sin, you say, not just, well, I'm sorry, you say, God, this is true. I really do. I sin against you and I hate it. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, isn't that interesting? He is faithful and just. Have you ever thought of that before? Why does it say he is faithful and just? You would think it should say he is faithful and merciful. He is faithful and loving, right? Isn't that why God forgives you? Because he's faithful and loving. Well, it's true, but here it says he's faithful and just. You see, when God forgives a repentant sinner, it is an act of God's justice. Why? Because he looks to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and he says, that is enough. When you are forgiven in Christ, it is not that God just just woke up one day and said, you know what? Forget about it. All those things about holiness, ah, never mind. You know how I said I, you know, sin was a big deal. It's not. I love you. Come here, you little rascal, and give me a hug. Some of us think that's how God loves us. That's how God forgives us. He just kind of has good God days, bad God days, and you just get him on a good day, and he's like, okay. I'll... He forgives us not in the absence of justice but as the fulfillment of justice. He never looks away from one little speck of your sin. What he does is he looks to the death and resurrection of his son. So he never says, you know what, that sin, not a big deal. Every sin is a big deal. He doesn't say, you know what, that sin, uh, forget about it. What he does is that that sin is an eternally big deal. And it requires an eternally big sacrifice. That's why it says he's faithful and just. It is an act of justice for God to forgive you. When you cling to Christ alone, he alone is the one who can make God just and the justifier of the ungodly. Our right standing with God does not depend on him setting aside the law, but on fulfilling it so that in Christ we are cleansed by mercy and justice. So I said three lies and a truth. And the truth that unravels all the lies is found only in the cross. Because when you look at the cross where the Son of God died, the cross surely tells us You're not perfect. Ain't nobody going to be perfect. Or or why would I have to send my son to suffer like that? My perfect son does not suffer on the cross for basically good people. He suffers for wretched people. And it puts an end to the lie of legalism. Because if you could do it some other way, when Christ prays in the garden, oh, Lord, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done, surely God would have said, you know what? There's a lot of people here who, who they can get it on their own. But it's not the case. This is the only way. And it puts an end to the lie of this antinomianism, this, this lie that says you can go ahead and walk in the darkness because um, God is all grace. When we choose to walk in the darkness and we call ourselves Christians, it's like looking at Christ on the cross and saying, hey, thanks. Now why don't I go live my own way? If we really know that Christ on the cross who saves us from our sins, we'll look and we'll say, Now I want to follow you and I want to carry my own cross. And how could I possibly walk back into the darkness when you, the perfect son of light, have paid for my sins? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know that these are just just words, just words from, from another pastor in town to come in and speak. They're, they're just words unless your your Holy Spirit really works. So help us. No doubt we, we are all believing some lies. And so help us to see what is the truth. Help us to see our sin as, as painful as it is to really see our sin. And then help us to see your holiness and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who is so much better. We pray in his name, amen.